Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to welcome you back to the program again today, and I'm excited about teaching the Word uh, today. Uh, we're going to get into some things in Hebrews 10 that I believe are really going to bless you. They really have been a blessing to me. But we've been doing a series on the book of Hebrews, and I trust you've been enjoying it. If you have, just go to our uh, website and, and just shoot us an email or something telling us how much you've enjoyed it, or go to our public profile page on uh, our Facebook, uh, and you can uh, just kind of respond and, and let us know where you're watching from and wh whether you're enjoying the program or not. Uh, we've been teaching the book of Hebrews now for a number of weeks. We've, uh, we did not mean for it to get this long, but we've been doing about four programs per chapter on the book of Hebrews, and we're in chapter 10 today. So I want you to get your Bible and maybe another cup of coffee sit down because we're going to share the Word today. Uh, before I do that, though, I want to tell you that if you've missed any of these programs, uh, you can go back to our YouTube page. And uh, our YouTube page is, uh, if the easiest way to get to it is to simply go to my website at lynnhouse.com, and that's the link right there. And you will, uh, be, uh, there's a direct link up there. There's a little icon that's, uh, that's kind of uh, lets you know that it's YouTube. And it'll take you directly to our program where everything we have aired to date is there archived, where you can watch it rewind it, go back, watch it again. If you're studying it, uh, we know that there are several churches that use some of the stuff that we're doing, uh, both in their ministry training classes and in their Wednesday night meetings. And you're welcome to do that. Also, we have a podcast there that's directly, again, from the best way to do it is go to my website, and you can go directly to the iTunes page and sign up for the podcast, get the audio portions of this, where you can redeem the time while you're stuck in traffic or, or anything like that for matter, mowing the lawn, whatever. I love the, how technology has just made it available on so many different platforms. You say, well, I don't have a, uh, an iPhone. Well, we have an RSS feed for the Android devices. So once again, simply go to my website and you will see uh, there a link, direct link to it. I'm going to get in the Word uh, today and just begin to share some things. Uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, Hebrews, the 10th chapter, is where we're going to go. And I want to just begin reading in verse 1. It says, For the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices, which they offered year by year, continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered, because the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sin. And, uh, but in those sacrifices, there is remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away his sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do thy will, O God. Above when he said, Sacrifice and offering, a burnt offering, and offering for sin thou wouldest not, neither had pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thou, thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he might establish the second. Now he's talking about covenants here. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ 
once for all. Now before I get any further down into Hebrews chapter 10, I want to start by telling you again, just by way of review, Hebrews the ninth chapter tells us that there was an earthly tabernacle of which was made when Moses was in the mountain and God said to him, see that you make everything after the pattern that I showed you in the mountains. And so the earthly tabernacle of Moses was an earthly uh, picture or shadow, if you will, of the heavenly tabernacle. Uh, one of the things, I've never taught it on TV, and I, I don't know, that I, I may do that, but we've mentioned it from time to time, but really uh, an incredible teaching is to take the tabernacle of Moses, because almost every New Testament doctrine is, is given in the tabernacle of Moses, at least in the form of a shadow. Uh, or it's a type or a shadow. In other words, all of these sacrifices and all of these things that were done in the Old Covenant was but a shadow of something that was to come. Now, uh, I simply would say this to you, a shadow is something that is standing in the light. In other words, if, uh, you know, I have lights all, all around me so it's hard to create a shadow here, but let's say this is my hand and there's a light over here shining, uh, then that, that light creates a bit of a shadow because there's, I'm standing, that, that my hand is standing in the, in, 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 the, in the light, and the shadow casts this way. But if you keep on moving towards the thing that is standing in the light, at some point you're going to come to the substance and you're not going to see the shadow. See, what, what's happening in the New Testament is that the Old Covenant was Jesus concealed. And the new covenant is Jesus revealed. It is, the old covenant is the shadow and the new covenant is the substance. And uh, you know, when I begin to see that, see what, that's one of the things that I believe we really need to see is that, and, and, and he's going to even in this 10th chapter of Hebrews, he is going to admonish these Hebrews not to go back to the old uh, the old covenant sacrifices and temple services and divers washings and, and uh, you know, the baking of the bread and the table. He's going to admonish them, don't go back to that old way. That's, one, that's going to be the main thrust of what Hebrews 10 talks about. I'm excited about some stuff I want to share out of the book of Hebrews here. But see, we, we need to remember that from the Hebrews 8 on, uh, the writer of Hebrews begins to say, now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. In other words, the, the rest of the book of Hebrews is the conclusion of what he was trying to say in the first eight chapters, and of course he expands on that. But he's already told you uh, there's, there's better blood, there's better promises, there's better sacrifices. There's a better tabernacle. Jesus is better than Moses. He's better than Joshua. He's better than Levi. And uh, on and on it goes showing how Christ was superior to anything that the old covenant could, uh, could, could uh, uh, produce. Now let me say this to you again because we're talking about something standing in the light. I think one of the most powerful pictures for me, and I use this quite a bit, is that, uh, you know, when, when, once again, if this is, is uh, let, let's say this is, uh, this is the mercy seat. I, the mercy seat in the Old Covenant was a shadow. It was a type. It was a picture of something else. 
There was something somewhere standing in the light that this mercy seat was only a shadow of. Now, if we keep on moving from Old Covenant to New Covenant, at some point, you're going to find the thing standing in the light that that was a shadow of. And we find that mercy seat in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea on resurrection morning when Mary and, uh, ran to the tomb early on resurrection morning. We just passed the Easter season as far as uh, you know, when we're filming this, and so this is going to come out after the Easter season, but just in, you know, when she came to the tomb, first of all, the stone was rolled away. And I've said this quite a bit, but I believe it's worth repeating. The stone rolled away to me signifies or symbolizes that the stone of the law had been so fulfilled by Christ that it's now rolled out of the way. Say it like this, the stone of the law has been rolled away, not Listen carefully, not to release your dead, stinking flesh. A lot of people preaching freedom from the law, all they're doing is releasing dead, stinking flesh. But the stone was rolled away to release the power of a resurrected life. It was to reveal the power of resurrection. That's my hope as I preach the gospel of grace and the new covenant, better covenant, whatever you want to term it, is that I want you to see that uh, it's better in every way, but that we are not rolling the stone of the law away just so your dead, stinking flesh can get loose and live any way you want. We are doing it so that you can embrace the power of resurrection and see His resurrected life operate in you. For if that same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, It'll quicken your mortal body. That's not just when you uh, get up out of the grave later on. That's when you get up out of bed in the morning and your feet hit the floor and the power of the resurrected life of Christ is now at work in you. Now, I don't want to sidetrack too much because I want to talk about this uh, realm of shadow. But when Mary stoops down and she looks into the tomb, she sees, and this is in John 20 especially, John's gospel really uh, brings this out more clear. But when she stooped down and looked into the tomb, she saw an angel standing at the head and an angel standing at the foot of where Jesus had lain. And where Jesus was laying, it looked like this. There was an angel standing at the head, an angel standing at the foot. Now between these two angels is what is called our propitiation, our propitiation. The word, the Greek word for propitiation there is mercy seat. Now, the mercy seat was the lid that was on the Ark of the Covenant. And if you can picture this, and anybody that's ever seen a picture of the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat, they will know that there was a golden slab that was sprinkled with blood that was underneath of that, the chest that, 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 that bared the covenant. And I've talked about that in other segments. But on top of it was a cherubim that stood at the front and wanted to bat their wings overstretched and they touched each other. And between the wings of the cherubim was what was called our mercy seat. Now, if you can just see that when Mary stoops down in John chapter 20 and she sees an angel standing at the head and an angel standing at the foot, what she just found was the thing that was standing in the light of which the old covenant mercy seat was only a type and a shadow and a picture of. What Mary just found was the real Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and the real mercy seat and the real blood of sprinkling and the real propitiation for our sin. She found the substance. She found the lost Ark, if you will. 
That's so powerful to me. So to me, when we, you know, and, and I've, I've shared this in other segments, so I almost hate to chase rabbits here uh, today while I'm doing this, but I'm telling you that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus was the fulfillment of that old covenant shadow of a mercy seat and an ark of the covenant because because of the blood of sprinkling, uh, you and I don't have to come to a judgment seat. We can come to a mercy seat. That, 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 that thing that was standing in the light was the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the finished work of the cross. Every one of these shadows, as a matter of fact, Hebrews 10 is going to tell you that these sacrifices from the old covenant, God found no satisfaction in them, that they were only the shadow of that which is to come. But Jesus said, but a body hast thou prepared for me. And, uh, you know, a sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared for me. Jesus was the substance of what every sin offering, every free will offering, every, uh, every uh, uh, transgression, every offering found its fulfillment in, this, in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. He was the ultimate and once and for all sacrifice, once for all time, what an incredible sacrifice that is. And I'm going to tell you, if that doesn't scream, it's better than the blood of bulls and goats that kept reminding you of your sin over and over and over again, that there was a remembrance made. See, the blood of Jesus and the Ark of the Covenant and the work that He did that was fulfilled, all of these shadows should make those that come to it perfect concerning their conscience. And if you remember... Again, let me, let me say this as well before I move on while I still got you thinking about uh, where J Jesus was at the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. And uh, he was, you know, uh, he was a beautiful picture of the mercy seat. I can't help but think of Psalm 91 where he said, you can trust what's under his wings. He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High. See, the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat was behind door number three. It was in the most holy place. We're going to talk about that in just a little bit in chapter 10 here, because he tells you, you can come boldly now. You can draw near uh, through the veil, that is to say his flesh, and into the very most holy place through the blood of Jesus by a new and living way that he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh. So what he did in his redemptive work gave us access to the most holy place. But when I think about that, I'm not thinking in terms of some mystical enigma or idea. When he said, He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God in Him will I trust. Surely He will deliver me from the snare of the fowler, from the noisome pestilence and only with your eyes shall you see and behold the reward of the wicked. And he begins to talk about you can come to trust what's under his wings. What was under his wings was a blood-sprinkled mercy seat. And I think we dealt with in a prior segment that what was inside of that Ark of the Covenant was the unbroken tablets of the law, which simply is showing that Jesus, who was the perfect sacrifice, never broke any of the law, he kept it, and so when his death could put it inside the ark and lay it up before God as if you and I never broke one of them. 
the, the golden pot of manna, again, speaks of, uh, there's too much here to just kind of unpack all of it. You need to go back probably and listen to some of my other segments. But the, the golden pot of manna, Jesus said, your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they're dead, but I'm the true bread that came down from heaven. That was the shadow, here is the substance. The, uh, the rod of Aaron that budded speaks of, uh, to me, uh, a priesthood, that the Levitical priesthood, it was the rod of Aaron that budded, and it speaks of being put into the Ark of the Covenant is the fact that Jesus literally became a new priest, not after the order of Levi, but after the order of Melchizedek, and all of that was in the Ark of the Covenant. And if you can remember back when I taught this, several weeks back I was teaching about it, that the ark was literally, the word ark, where they're talking about the ark of the covenant, was literally uh, the first usage of the word ark uh, is the Hebrew word that's translated, the first time the word is used is translated as a coffin. And it's where they brought the coffin of Joseph out out of Egypt. And so the word ark is the word coffin. So when I saw that the word for ark is the same Hebrew word that's translated coffin, I began to see that the ark of the covenant was the coffin for the law. You become dead to the law by the body of Christ that you should be married to another, even to him who's raised from the dead, that you can bring forth fruit unto God. And the second thing is that, uh, you know, you became dead to the Levitical priesthood. It became a coffin to the Levitical priesthood because there's a new priesthood that has arisen after the order of Melchizedek. The golden pot of manna, when God gave them the manna, He said, I'm going to give them manna to eat to see if they will obey my law or no. Well, the answer is no, they did not. But Jesus did, and He took that. Instead of putting our rebellion, He took all of that which we were not able to keep. He put it in. He fulfilled the law. He, he became completely obedient, became the true bread, and He uh, became the priest after the order of Melchizedek. But He put all three of those things in that coffin and buried them so that under the lid, is the unbroken tablets of the law. Under the lid is the golden pot of manna. Under the lid is the rod of Aaron that budded. It's, all, it's like Prego spaghetti sauce. It's all in there. Jesus did it so that He could hand to us a mercy where we could approach the presence of God as if we never sinned. Um, uh, man, there's so much here. But uh, one, one other thing quickly, because I, I think I, I ought to touch that while I'm here, but also when I see these uh, angels standing at the foot, and one, st- uh, one standing at the head, and one standing at the foot, I'm reminded also of the Garden of Eden, where when the man ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God put him out of the garden, and then he put two angels with flaming swords at the east of the garden to keep the way. Watch this now. He didn't say to keep you out, but to keep the way of the tree of life. I submit to you that in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, they are in a garden place. That's not an accident. Everything Jesus does in His redemptive work, He does it in a garden. He prays in a garden. He prays until He sweats. He sweats until He bleeds. When He does, one drop of blood from the divine brow will touch an earth that's been cursed with you got to earn your bread by the sweat of your brow. Jesus redeems us from works and labor. He does that in a garden. He prays in the garden of Gethsemane. He is buried in a garden. He is, everything about this is, is, is reflecting 
you know, I, I could sit like this. Adam had a garden. He turned it into a graveyard. Jesus took a graveyard. He turned it into a garden. Adam had access to a tree of life, but he chose a tree of death, and Jesus chose a tree of death and turned it into a tree of life. And it's not an accident that when Mary Magdala walks, or Mary walks up to him after his resurrection, she sees him in a garden and she says, Sir, I thought you were the gardener. Oh, he in fact was the gardener. And he had just put them back through his redemptive work, back in the garden of God, back in the finished work, back where we have access to a tree of life. And these angels that are standing on top of this, uh, if you will, mercy seat are saying to everyone who will come by, this is the way. Walk you. This is the way back into the garden. What's the way? Through the blood sprinkling and the blood of Jesus and the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, that's the way back into the paradise of God. It's the way back into the Eden of God. And these angels were not there to keep you out. They were there to point the way. And Jesus is the way. He's the truth. He's the life. No man can come to the Father except through Him. There's no alternative gospel. There's no other way to get there except through Him. Now, before I run out of time, I want to come back and say that, that, that one of the things that he begins to talk about in Hebrews 10 is that the, the sacrifices that they offered year by year could not make the comers there unto perfect. I'm going to take a whole segment on perfection, but before I do, uh, I, I want to just uh, touch this part again. For then would they not have ceased to be offered, because the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sin. But in those sacrifices, there's remembrance again made of sins every year, for it's impossible that the blood of goats could take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering you had no, you, thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast had no pleasure. Now he said what happened was in those sacrifices that they were offering year by year, it continually reminded them of their sin. Now one of the things that I want to say simply is this, you know, if under the old covenant, on the great day of atonement, when the blood was sacrificed and the sin offerings were given, and God accepted that sacrifice, and that high priest came back out from beyond the veil, and the people saw that God had accepted their sacrifices, they could go home that night and lay their head on a pillow and sleep and rest in peace knowing that God had forgiven their sins for another year, that their sins and iniquities had been removed. Now, if they could have that kind of peace looking at a shadow, how much more should we have a peace and a security in our salvation and a knowing that I can lay my head on a pillow tonight and say, I trust what's up underneath of His wings, and that's the blood of Jesus Christ that should have purged me, not just purged me, but purged my conscience from sin. See, the purging of the conscience I dealt with in one of the segments, the last four segments I did. Because the, one of the scriptures says that, that, that what would happen is that they would come forbidding to marry, forbidding to eat meats offered to idols, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. What that I showed you was that the conscience being seared is the Greek word kokterizo, for the word seared there, 
And it is the English where we translate cauterize, which means stop the flow of blood. And the context of that is he's not saying you're going to sin and keep on sinning and keep on sinning until your conscience gets to the place where it don't bother you anymore. What he's saying is you're going to set up under legalism and don't touch this, don't handle that, don't eat this offer to idols, preaching such a sin consciousness that it sears your conscience with a hot iron where the flow of blood, the blood, the redemptive blood of Jesus doesn't get to your conscience. Because as we get down in this chapter, we're going to find out that that's one of the things he puts blood directly on is your conscience. Not so that you don't feel bad about sin anymore. Here's what a seared conscience will do. It'll make you run from God rather than run to him. In other words, it's like owing somebody a whole lot of money. And every time you see them, you know, you cross the street to get to the other side. Try to avoid that person because you know how much they owe you. And if every time you see them, they remind you how much they owe you, you're definitely going to avoid them. But when you find out that Jesus so paid the debt that you've been totally and completely forgiven and that there's no need for you to run from God, but you, you could run to God, when that blood starts to touch the conscience, see, that's what I'm after in teaching the gospel of grace is to get people to find out God is not interested in rejecting you. His hands are outstretched saying, draw near. I'm, I'm hungry for relationship. Yeah, but I'm such a dirty, rotten scoundrel. See, he's trying to get you to get past the thinking that makes you think like Adam did. I'm naked, I'm ashamed, and I need to hide. See, God wants to give you a purged conscience where you'll not feel like you need to run from him, but you'll run to him and crawl up on his lap and realize I've got access that I can come with boldness into the most holy place because access has been made through the blood of Jesus and I don't have to deal with no consciousness of sin. If under the first covenant, the blood of bulls and goats could get their conscience well enough to make them feel like they could lay their head on a pillow and rest, how much more should the blood of Jesus who has dealt with your past, your present, and your future sin. He's not going to come back and die every time you sin. He's got you covered. That doesn't mean you should sin. Paul said, what, shall we sin so grace can abound? God forbid. How can we who are dead to sin live any longer in it? See, the death of Jesus was not just a a death that would, uh, you know, that was, he didn't die so you didn't have to. He died because you had to. His death was your death. You were crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, we live. But with the light that we now live, we live by the faith of the Son of God. So what I'm simply saying is, is that let faith arise in your heart where you stop running from God, stop living in the shadow, and embrace what He's already done. You can trust what is up underneath of His wings. We're about to run out of time. And uh, I just want to take a moment to quickly uh, uh, tell you, you know, if you want to, you can go to my website again. We have several books that are there. I'll just give you a quick uh, synopsis. From Law to Grace is my newest book, uh, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift. This book marries the grace message with the gospel of the kingdom. Great book. If I was going to get one book, that's the one I'd get. The Revelation of Jesus Christ, of course, is about a revelation of Jesus from the book of Revelation. And the Unforced Rhythms of Grace is from the viewpoint of everything that uh, you need in this Christian walk has to flow from grace. If you've got a moment, you'd like to sow a seed into the ministry, call the number on the screen 
or send it to the address that will come up. God bless you. Thank you for joining us this week. I'm very excited to announce the release of my newest book. It is titled, From Law to Grace, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift. In this book, we talk about how the gospel is not about a law you have to keep. It is about receiving a life that will keep you. It is not about living this life out of fear. It is about living a life of faith. It is not about rules. It's about a relationship with a loving Father. It is about moving from the old covenant government of condemnation to the new covenant government of affirmation. It is about living life as a citizen of the kingdom right now.